Hello, all you beautiful people out there in podcast land. My name is Paul Rickman. I'm Zach McCoy. And then it's your boy, Trav. And we are your Oscar Grouches. Welcome back to the Oscaristy Podcast. Thursday show, Thursdayzy. Show where we take a look at the oeuvre of a perennial Oscar bridesmaid and knower of cinema of one Mr. Martin Scorsese. And what are we watching this week, Zach? This week, we are watching Grace of My Heart, a haphazard jaunt through the 1960s pop scene with a plucky songwriter and a bunch of troubled dudes. <laughs> so many troubled dudes. So many troubled dudes. Mm. Is this everybody's first time seeing this movie? Yes. No, I am the one who has seen it all the times to generate all the box office. No, I, <laughs> no this is my first time as well. Uh, you know, we've been I've been saying Oscar firsties. We should be saying first daisies. First daisies. First daisies. And remember, I was like, man, I wish we'd come up with a term for it. And you said something like, yeah, you know, that'd be cool. And then all of a sudden, randomly out of your back pocket, you just pull up, pull it out. Like, <laughs> that's that's how all my ideas come. Just <laughs> verbal diarrhea. Oh, yeah. I actually really love the first AC. We are rolling with that. You heard it first here. First AC. All right. Uh, there is no Oscar breakdown on this film, so we're just going to jump into it. Yeah. Thoughts on this movie? I got a question. Okay. Because typically we don't talk box office. All right. How did this movie do this bad? That's a good question. Uh, I mean, ah. that is atrociously bad for 1996. Well, yeah. When, like, movie theaters is the really still the only way to see movies that is, that, so this is like atrociously bad that that looks like this film kind of got held back and it was probably held back for the fact that in just a couple weeks after this that thing you do comes out right oh mm, yeah they mentioned uh, that about pretty kind of the same concept same air and of course, everybody's going to flock to the theaters to watch a film that was shot by Tak Fujimoto. It's the number one reason people go see movies. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I will say, I think they, they really should have uh, made this like a PG-13 movie. There's no reason it needed to be an R, for, I, I don't think. I, and, and you could have marketed it differently because I don't know. No, that's my that's my that's one of my initial well, feelings. I'll be honest with you. I don't find it too appealing for adults, so I really don't find it appealing for 13-year-olds <laughs> and under, to be honest with you, in all fairness. Yeah, but with, like, that Forrest Gump sentimentality, boomer, everything from the 60s is good as gold kind of thinking, uh, I don't see who else this would go for, because, I mean, this is pretty much a, like, pastiche of the life of Carol King. Right. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't necessarily mean it targeted at uh, teenagers, but a, a tamer version for, like you said, for the for the soft rock, soft pop generation. Mm -hmm. uh, they see maybe they see an R. Huh. There was no like, need yeah. for the boobies at like towards the like you went this whole movie without <laughs> showing a pair of tits and then you randomly put it in there you know in the last 20 minutes so it's like uh, yeah you're right that that could have easily just been taken out it served no purpose mm. i really don't think anything else would have made it rated r if you just removed the titties yeah, there's some language but that, that's <laughs> yeah there's there's quite a few f words like especially 
Yeah, it, especially in the one scene where her and John Turturro are sitting like by the poolside, yeah. she's screaming at him. Oh yeah, she's, okay, yeah, you're just, right. She's just dropping him left and right. <laughs> he's the yeah. best thing about this movie. That's, uh, oh, he's, he's I, so I won't good. argue with that. Does he wear sunglasses inside in this movie? I feel like he yes, might he does. have. He definitely does. Because he does in the Batman, and <laughs> he is he definitely earned the right to do that. <laughs> Uh, no, we've been uh, having a little chat about his hair in this movie. It's absolutely it's so good. I love it. Oh God, <laughs> he just it. shows up with that fucking hair. Especially when you know before he comes in the room and she's there with the lum- lum- luminaires or luminettes. <laughs> the luminaires, luminaires are like right? That yeah, the alt, alt rock right. Right. that's out now, <laughs> bro. Um, <laughs> But she's mm-hmm. like, you know, just don't don't say anything about the wig or whatever, you know. He like, wears he wears a wig. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then when he says something about their hair, and she has like a oh yeah, their hair, you know. But um, all right. Well, let me go ahead and just get any negativity out the way, so we can mm. move on to the positivities of this film. Um, I you know what this film could have been really good. Luminaries, by the way. Luminaries, okay. This film could have been really good. It has a lot of charm. It has a lot of appealness to it that could be really good. Um, It's probably the worst ADR I've ever witnessed in American cinema. It is fucking atrocious. I do not understand how the ADR in this film is this bad. And it really took me out of the film. It is terrible. Terrible. So I'm, I'm drawing a blank on ADR right now. What is that? Additional dialogue recording. Yeah. So pretty much for whatever reasoning it's it, to me, it looks like all the audio when they filmed was fucked because pretty much most of this movie is ADR. So they got to go in and redub everything over there. Huh? And it's, dude, it, you can just tell. Uh, for me, I can. And it was just bad. Really. Uh, what's the movie? What's the Stephen King movie with the the Dead Zone? So that movie, a fantastic movie. But the first scene where they ride the roller coaster, they mm-hmm. ADR that whole first scene. And it is fucking god awful. Yeah, I couldn't it's imagine this, trying to shoot on a roller coaster. <laughs> it's this, except... The whole movie for this. It is very bad. I mean, I noticed it from time to time. I didn't notice it through the whole movie. Oh, well, I, I guess, to, you know, there's things that can tick you. I, I didn't notice it that much myself either, but I wasn't, I wasn't intently. I, I thought the singing seemed like it was pretty decent, but maybe I, maybe I missed it. Yeah. And you know, oh, you can tell doing... it's not her. Mm. Yeah. Uh, apparently she sang, but they ended up, overdubbing her anyway you know who overdubbed her no who? the original annie from broadway okay okay i don't even know who that mm. is to be honest with you Kristen vigard i just thought it's funny that she was the original annie a beautiful voice yeah a gorgeous voice but and it's not as bad as new york new york when you know they overdub <laughs> her and you can clearly tell it's yeah. it's not that bad but you can tell it's not her singing you know, it's clearly uh, yeah. it's not her singing, but and, and it I, just I, could be because I work in audio, so it's something did, that I'm it, gonna pick up on. Probably but, more so than the average person, but yeah. 
And I, I think when she gets into the, the Carol Kane kind of years where her voice is a little huskier, it's uh-huh. a better match for her. Right. Like, mm. like I could tell she's not singing God give me strength, but I could believe that voice would come out of her mouth. Right. Um, <laughs> the other thing that just really bugged me about the film was it really feels like it came out in 1986 instead of 1990s. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like a... When we've talked about it last week and the week before, once you get to like 93, 94, 95, 96, these movies are really, you're seeing that new age of movies and how pristine and high quality they are. And this just felt like it was 10 years too late, in my opinion. Hmm. I don't know where they spent $5 million on this movie, to be honest with you, because it's not in production and I'll tell you what, man, if I was Thelma, I would be like, yo, get my name off of this movie. I don't even want to be fucking credited with <laughs> Thelma, being some form Thelma of feel, Thelma feels like she came in as a cleanup editor. One of those, What's like, the there's a little bit in this film, one of the big complaints I have is that it does feel kind of hacked up. Yeah. Uh, and I think that comes down to Thelma trying to find a movie in it. And I could be wrong. All right. But... She she definitely feels like her name is thrown in here because you're like, uh, Thelma, we need help. I think we right. talked about this with the Grifters, that there's a movie in there somewhere. They just couldn't find it. And that's how I feel with this movie. There's something here because there's good stuff. I think they found it a lot more in this movie than they did the Grifters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. But it, it has a good ending. But I have no emotional connection to anything that they're doing in this film, and I don't feel like your lead character is likable, so I don't feel for her in any situation oh, that she ends up in. I found her being. supremely likable. Oh, man. I just she think she's a fucking idiot. Hmm. Uh, no. I think she, I, I think her one fault is uh, feeling like she thinks she needs a man when she doesn't, but I guess that's partly, you know, the the time and, mm-hmm. and the constraints that are put upon her by the industry or society or whatever. But no, I found her charming. She reminded me of, uh, Oh gosh, she reminds me of another actress. I just can't think of who right now. Yeah. I, I don't think she's an idiot. I, I think she, she's looking for something and she continuously thinks she finds it in other people, but it's one of those, she kind of has it already and she doesn't need to keep looking for it. Yeah. She's drawn to other artists who, as notoriously often are, turn out to be kind of damaged people. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think the the film, like you mentioned with the editing, it does kind of have an identity issue. Uh, some some of these Marty-produced films have had the identity issues, and I'm not sure what what the issue is going on, <laughs> the consistent kind of issue Every time that. you say issues, all I think about is your grifters an intro when your tummy issues like <laughs> every time you say issues in my head i just go and tummy issues <laughs> well she had some tummy issues there she <laughs> good. don't go into the back alley oh lord oh um yeah so did <laughs> did it move you the ending at all with the mom getting the record and being like proud of her daughter that she sh- disowned 20 years ago or whatever like yeah it did. Uh, I, a, a little i 
I kind of got invested emotionally in this as soon as they introduced Matt Dillon's character. Mm. Mostly because I know he's a stand-in for Brian Wilson. Oh, yeah, yeah. And And who's Brian Wilson? uh, The lead singer and main songwriter, The Beach Boys. Oh, okay. knowing Brian Wilson's, like, real-life issues... Yeah. Right. As soon as like they introduced him, I was like, "Fuck, I'm he's gonna break me." <laughs> yeah. Brian Wilson's life is horrible. So why and didn't sad. It, what happened for him not to be in the film? What do you mean? Well, it's based on you know the. Oh, you're saying that's the character that he is, quote unquote. He's he's like analog to Brian Wilson. He's oh, okay. not actually Brian Wilson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, they and, mentioned. You could tell they're the beach, but what are they? Are the riptides yeah. or something? Yeah, the riptides. The rip, they're the beach boys. Yeah, they're the beach. Uh, and and he's essentially in his uh, his pet sounds phase of the beach boys. We yeah. meet him in the movie, yeah. and that's around the time that Brian Wilson starts kind of really deteriorating mentally. So as soon as they introduced him, and they're like, "Hey, he's kind of in his pet sounds phase," I was like, "Fuck." Like, this sucks. I'm so sad now. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, you know, I'm kind of into this era of music, even if there's not like my favorite music in the movie. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I liked seeing the, the illusions and the references to things going on. I yeah. thought that was an inter- interesting plot device, maybe not executed perfectly, but there, there were some interesting things going on with the movie, at least stylistically i think yeah i i think elena douglas is charming in this film and it really gave the film a a real soft spot in my heart and i was able to to go with her yeah and then john Turturro's hair yeah he's he's great in everything he's in he always is absolutely he really is it's it's insane how good of an actor he is on the sneak yeah the fact that he is just low-key one of the best actors we have and even in really shitty films, he's often like the best part about it. Absolutely. Oh, I have to say uh, my favorite uh, scene in the film. And you know, that, that made me rate this like an enjoyable versus unenjoyable is, you know, Jay Maskis in there and he, with the theremin. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, there you go. There's two stars right there. Mm -hmm. I, I like how many, musicians and industry people are just randomly in this movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> Chris I wonder, isaac yeah. just shows up for a couple scenes jill sabule's just kind of hanging out warming up in the scene like there's Probably so many people in this movie. marty make a few phone calls and pop onto this movie or something yeah well i wish you know marty would focus more on producing a good film instead of who he can shoehorn into mm. these movies mm. man just because Right now, when I look at him directing versus producing, he's 0 for 3 for me when it comes to producing, this being the worst of the three. And and and, and I think it, it there's a lot to say that he's an executive producer on this instead of just like a line producer. Right. Well, maybe it's just me, but I feel like if you're going to put your name on something, give it your all. You know, I mean, your name's on it, bro. And you're not some schmuck. You're fucking martin scorsese you know what i mean like your Mm -hmm. name's going to draw attention to the film so whether he wants to or not even if he had no involvement in it we're still going to talk about him not doing a good job on it because he put his name on it dude and he's martin scorsese i mean but where i'm going is like the difference between a 
a producer and an executive producer is essentially a, a producer is a little more hands-on and is there to like wrangle money when you need it. Mm-hmm. And an executive producer essentially owns the studio or the production company. And his job was essentially, all right, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll distribute this movie for you. So he may have greenlit it and he helped find maybe find the $5 million that they spent on it. But I don't, I don't think he's down in the trenches, but the way he would be with something like there's some form of a screening that would go on, right. That he would be involved in. And, and, and I he think would that, see the final edit before it went out and he saw this and went, we're good to go. And, and, and that's again, where I think Thelma gets brought into it. Right. Where there's two other editors listed on this yeah, movie. Thelma's yeah. not the only one. Yeah, so <laughs> that sounds that sounds to me like somebody made an edit and they watched it and went, This isn't good enough. Maybe brought in another editor, went, uh, maybe this isn't good enough either. And they're like, All right, bring Thelma in. We'll try to we'll try to figure out what we can do from here. And I, I honestly think what they come up with is fine. I think it's charming. Yeah. I yeah, I'll hold my thoughts until we're in the rankings here a bit. But yeah, I, I, I'll, I'm comfortable saying I like this movie. Uh, <laughs> I don't like Eric Stoltz's character. Marty McFly would never. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or would he? Would he? <laughs> How do you cheat on your wife with your baby in the room? Bro, oh. honestly, I didn't even notice the baby was in, t- in the room until she grabbed the baby. Well, yeah, I don't think you're supposed to see it until... <laughs> I was like, uh, what a... I mean, that's... Doing it in your bed is one thing. In front of the baby, bro, like... Maybe this is TMI, but, you know, my first kid uh, slept with us in the room. And... I wasn't even comfortable doing anything with the mother of that kid in the room with her in the room. Right. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel that. Yep. Yeah. That's odd. Yeah. <laughs> Complete scum. What a scumbag. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'd really be curious to see what Allison Anders had, what the original cut of this was, what the script looked like that Marty read that made him want to green light this in the first place. Yeah, because uh, there's got to be something there. Yeah, so like you know, there's a, a laundry list of of um, artists that they're talking about. I'll just read some of them just for reference for people listening. But you know, Bert Backrack, Elvis, Elvis Costello, Joni Mitchell, um, and like the Monkees and several girl groups and things. It's just there's so much good content and probably really interesting stories that could have been told maybe if the uh the focus or the point of view has shifted a little bit i don't know about you know having edna be the focal point i i like her but i feel like there's more interesting stories that were probably in the background that's where i'm at yeah like i said i think that i think probably what greenlit it was it sounds like it would it was a really good screenplay i just don't think it was executed to the best of the abilities, you know, probably just again, bad directing, bad editing, uh, all those things. And, you know, sometimes you just can't overcome those things, you know, in my opinion for me. And, um, yeah, but it sounds like it could have been good. It just wasn't done for me. 
And I okay. think it is good. I think it could have been great. Yeah. Especially with the music. I think almost all the music in this is incredible. Yeah. yeah. It's like, uh, it, it, I look at this kind of, and I feel like dream girls is like kind of a ref, refined version of what this kind of sets out to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, that, that came out like 10 years before this on Broadway. So, mm-hmm. so it's not like there's not something to go off of. Mm. Yeah. Dream girls. is great. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Anything else? Oh, I've uh, I've said all I gotta say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's get on to our worst judgments then. Tram, where's this sitting on your Thursday rankings? So you know, I didn't think it was dog shit. You know, it didn't. It was a little too lengthy. But I didn't think it was dog shit. I gave it a two and a half stars. I got it sitting down at my 21 spot right between New York, New York and Boxcar Bertha. Um, But definitely the worst of the Scorsese produced films that we've watched so far, for sure. Zach, where's the sitting on your rankings? So, I actually have a opposite feeling of Trav there. I like it best of the three, or the the recent um, produced ones anyway. I have it above Mad Dog and Glory and the Grifters. I have it at number 18, right uh, behind Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, and above New York Stories. Number 18, and I'd it's, about, it's a three and a half star for me. Trav, where did you say you had it ranked? Uh, 21. So right underneath New York, New York is where I had it. So I have this sitting at my number 20. So we're all like in the same ballpark, but just for different reasons. Yeah. (laughs) But I, I think I've been a little more gracious on a lot of my scoring than you guys have. Um, because I got this as a four star and it's down to my number 20. Mm. I'm not going to lie. When I saw that on Letterboxd, I was like four stars. <laughs> I yeah. really enjoyed this movie. And I, like I said, when for like the whole last half of the film, I was very emotionally invested. Uh, I think it's enjoyable and I could, I could see myself watching it again. I'm sad that this didn't make more money and also didn't make Elena Douglas a star. Cause I think she's incredible in this film. She's not terrible. You know, and I don't know if it's a good or bad thing that they constantly make mention of her odd features, her odd mm-hmm. facial structure, I guess yeah. you could say. Um, I don't know if that is done with taste or not. You know, I I couldn't really pinpoint why they were doing it. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I think, let's see. I think she reminds me a bit of one of the, I can't, her name is uh, leaving my mind now. She was on The Daily Show. Uh, Are you thinking of Kristen Schaal? Yeah, I was I was looking up Katie Schaal, and it wasn't coming up. <laughs> it was her, her was on a, Bob's Burgers. Yeah, a mix of her and um, what's-your-face uh, Ku Klux Klan queen from uh, <laughs> The Office and um, that other show. Oh, Ellie Kemper. I yeah, like camper. combine the two of them together is kind of like what I don't like that Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> I know it's a joke. But she, she... 
Leave Ellie Kemper alone, damn it. And I like, I think she's a gorgeous woman because I like unique woman like um, the chick from uh, Mean Girls. And uh, she did in time. Uh, Amanda Seyfried. Amanda Seyfried. Very, you, you don't see anybody else that looks like her. Yeah. You know, uh, so. I'm kind of into mousy women with really big mousy eyes. Mousy so. women. <laughs> oh, like like uh, uh, Kate Micucci from Garfunkel uh-huh. Notes. Uh-huh. I, I just have a thing for her. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so. All right. Well, yeah. we're going to go ahead and call it there. And uh, Trav, let people know where they can find you on the media's social. That's right. You can find me on the Instagram at ZK Audio, where I'm also on the Twitter at T-R-A-V-I-O-S-Z-K, where I'm also on Letterboxd, ranking and rating my favorite movies that I'm watching. And I'm wrapping up my Del Toro list. And I did watch Blade 2 this oh, weekend. Yeah. Damn it. I love that movie. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> So good. Nice. Zach, where can people find you? Find me on Critiker, Zach Master, X-A-K-K-M-A-S-T-E-R, uh, TikTok, House Havoc, Letterbox, searching my name, Mr. Paul. Where are you? You can find me at Father of the Fear across the platforms of Twitter, Instagram, and Letterbox, where I rank all the films I watch. And this week I watched Studio 666, the Foo Fighters film. And I really liked it. I just had a fun time. It's a good time. Yeah. It's always a fun time. Dave. I don't want to give away the gnarly kills, but there's one that might be my favorite kill in a horror movie in a long time. Sweet. More than the nail gun? Oh, I just love nail guns. Uh, nail guns and bridges. Yeah, nail guns. Bridges. I love bridges. I love them. All right, Zach, what are we watching next week? Next week? We are watching Kundun, and I don't believe it's streaming anywhere right now. So order yourself an international copy, and and hopefully it'll get here in a couple weeks, because that's what I had to do a while back. (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) Um, I got a fun story for that. Okay. So we'd like to thank Trav. Trav, thank you so much for producing our show. We'd like to thank Chad Ramsey for a most excellent theme song. We'd like to thank Megan and Jay Bellevue for our beautiful artwork. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Oscarsky Pod and on Facebook at the Oscarsky Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a nice five star review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. It really helps us to be seen in the almighty algorithm. We really like five stars. <laughs> so, for Trav, Zach, and John Turturro's wig, we'd like for you all. Have a damn fine day.